Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, it's Adam here from DNF1. Just before we begin the podcast, I wanted to quickly share with you some exciting news. For this month, the DNF1 podcast is proudly sponsored by... Manscaped. For the entire month of March, you can get hold of some great Manscaped products like this and plenty more other great products on their website for 20% off and free shipping. All you have to do is head over to manscaped.com and use our promo code DNF1 to receive 20% off your order and also free shipping too. We loved using Manscaped products and we know that you will too. So make sure to get yours now. Trust us, your balls will thank you. So hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast, the show where we take all of the latest news, gossip and events in the Formula One world and we relay that back to you guys with a bit of healthy banter and discussion for your listening and viewing pleasure, depending on what platform you choose to follow us on. And as always, my name is Adam. I'm one of the hosts on this series and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Courtney Pine. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? You okay? Hello, everyone. Um, I hope you're doing well. Um, I must say, I'm feeling a real sense of optimism about everything that's going on with the whole COVID situation around the world. Things are starting to look up a bit. I'm feeling a sense of optimism that maybe my current fans are feeling at the moment. And that's exactly why we're here. Absolutely. And you're absolutely right to point that out regarding McLaren Courtney. One week to go until the season gets underway at Bahrain. It's so close now, guys. We can literally smell the exhaust fumes from the Formula One cars. Obviously, not literally, but it is that close to us and we cannot wait for it to get started. And of course, as Courtney mentioned, this episode is going to be about McLaren. Now, before we do get started, I just want a big shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. And first of all, I want to thank them for allowing us to run last week's episode without advertisement um, as a tribute to the late Murray Walk, who sadly passed away. So thank you very much, Manscaped, for allowing us to do that. But incidentally, of course, normal service is resumed. And as the advert suggests, use the code DNF1 on manscaped.com to get 20% off your order and free shipping. So make sure to do that now. DNF1, you get 20% off your order and free shipping. Go and do that now. You will not regret, regret it. Now, of course, let's talk about McLaren, Courtney. The reason why we're doing this episode McLaren on McLaren is since 2012, 
the last race that they won in Brazil, Jensen Button, of course, the driver to do that. McLaren went through a bit of a downturn. They lost Lewis Hamilton to Mercedes. The performance of the car started to decline. There were issues financially for the team where they weren't able to compete with the likes of Red Bull, Ferrari and Mercedes in particular, who since then have pretty much dominated the top tier class of Formula One. McLaren also decided to go a different way. On the engines, they felt that the only way to compete and possibly beat the almighty Mercedes, little did we know how long this would last, it's still to this day at the time of recording, McLaren decided to go a different route and reignite the partnership with Honda, the partnership that brought them so much success in the late 1980s and of course the early 1990s as well, going proper old school with this one. And it was one for the F1 purists to know and enjoy. We were certainly excited at the time when it was oh, announced, I certainly was. Yeah, we certainly were. In late, in uh, I think it was early 2014, I believe. If in the second year of the turbo hybrid era, Honda would be rejoining the sport, but it was a romance that was probably best left to its heyday during its successful period, and it never really brought any success. If anything, it was almost heartbreaking. It was a very difficult relationship that pretty much was culminated in radio messages from one Fernando Alonso referring famously to the Honda ending as a GP2 engine at no less than their home circuit in Suzuka in front of their broadcasters and fans as well. Probably one of the most infamous radio messages you're ever likely to hear as a Formula One fan. And, you know, I mean, let's be honest, Courtney, at that time, McLaren were really in dire straits coming ninth in the Constructors' Championship in 2015. At that time, obviously, you know, your allegiance is uh, to Mercedes at the time, but as a British fan and perhaps a McLaren supporter in some regard at the time, it was very difficult growing up, knowing how successful McLaren were when we were growing up as Formula One fans, only to see them fall so far, literally to the bottom of F1's difficult hierarchy. Yeah, it was sad to see. Um, I can only speak on my own behalf, but the impression I get is that most Formula fan, most most Formula One fans do have a soft spot for McLaren and Williams. You know, they they have a big part to play in um, Formula One. Let's not forget that McLaren are the third most successful team in Formula One history. And I find it I find it weird. You know, we we're discussing this before we went on air. I find it weird that someone like the younger fans is just getting into the sport and sort of see McLaren as a midfield team. And like, when we were growing up, they were one of the teams to beat, you know. Okay, even when Michael Schumacher was dominating, McLaren were there or thereabouts. They had bigger Hackner winning in the late mm. 90s. Um, Kimi Raikkonen went close a couple of times. And then obviously they had some good tussles in 2007, 2008. And they were. They, they were one of the biggest teams. And I'm really pleased that slowly but surely they started to turn it around after which was it was. It was a painful time. Like those radio messages um, about the GP2 engine. Yeah, it was funny to watch. It was Fernando Alonso being Fernando Alonso, but at the same time, it really was. Like I remember going to the Belgian Grand Prix in 2015, and the Honda engine sounded sick. Not in a good way. It sounded ill. It was, I, I sound like a nerd, but the Mercedes engine sounded fantastic. You know, the Renault was sort of getting better slowly but surely. But the Honda engine sounded like a donkey in comparison. And Mm. I'm just pleased that McLaren are showing signs of them getting back to their former glory. 
Absolutely. And of course, let's not forget their last world championship back in 20, uh, 2008, I should say, uh, under Lewis Hamilton. That's how long ago Lewis Hamilton was a one time world champion. The last time McLaren won a world championship, how long ago that was. It certainly makes me feel old reminiscing about the old days. Um, you mentioned the rivalry between McLaren and Ferrari, particularly uh, Mika Hakkinen and Michael Schumacher, of course, in the late 90s, early 2000s and Lewis Hamilton and Alonso versus Massa and Kimi Raikkonen in 07 and 08, respectively. It just seems such a long time ago since those good old days. Um, But unlike Ferrari, McLaren really did go on a downturn in form and fortunes. Let's not, let's not, um, you know, get carried away. Ferrari obviously keeping pace with Red Bull Mercedes, McLaren struggling. And in that era with the Honda engines, uh, as I said, a lot of the time, McLaren did look like a team that was basically resting on the excuses and putting all the blame on Honda. And at the time, a lot of us were very much convinced that that was the case. You know, there were certain cases where the McLaren looked pretty handy um, in Fernando Alonso's hands, but the engine power was so bad that they used to go and say that it had the best. I think there was one time, I can't remember who it was exactly, so I'm not going to quote the name, but apparently one of the leading engineers at McLaren claimed that they had the best chassis of anyone on the grid back in 2017, and yet they finished ninth in the constructors. So unless your engine was a go-kart engine that come out of a second-hand lawnmower, I'm pretty certain that the chassis of the McLaren was not the best. I think we could all agree it was possibly the Red Bull or even the Ferrari back then in 2017. That was a pretty handy car. Um, That being said, McLaren in the last few years have gone for a major restructure. They've brought in the likes of Andrea Seddle, the team principal, Zach Brown, the CEO, James Key, the technical director. And this trinity at McLaren has really helped to bring forward Uh, this new McLaren, if you like, this updated version that has now risen from F1's pit into possibly breaking into the top tier at the top of the midfield. Last season, 2020, was their best result in the Constructors' Championship, coming third overall, getting three podiums in the last two seasons, of course. Let's not forget Sainz in Brazil 2019 and Sainz in Lando, respectively, getting a podium each with Sainz himself, believing he should have won in Monza, of course, in that legendary race that Pierre Gasly won. Very close, very close indeed. Absolutely, absolutely agree. And, um, you know, you look at McLaren now and... There's absolutely no doubt in my mind that I think McLaren fans should be very excited about their prospects. And I think in this podcast, I think we're going to explain, you know, why McLaren's resurgence and how that has happened and why in particular this year and perhaps the next few years, why I think they should be very excited that McLaren could potentially be breaking into F1's top tier once again. So before we get going with that, Courtney, a few questions from some of our uh supporters thank you so much for those of you that weigh in please do uh weigh in with any questions that you have regarding topics that we do put up for podcast episodes we really do appreciate it and we love engaging you guys anyway so the more the absolute merrier um and courtney of course you had a few points that some of our followers were asking regarding mclaren's uh, apparent resurgence to the top now what i love about these questions is that they've really fitted in well with this episode by accident, they've covered pretty much every aspect of what makes a Formula One car good or bad. So let's start off with the engine department. Um, our good friend from uh, Vulcan Motorsport, he asked us, thoughts on the Mercedes power unit possibly bringing renewed success on track? Well, as we've already mentioned, the issues with the Honda engine were there for everyone to see. Since then, of course, we should stress that Honda have come leaps and bounds from where they were to having 
arguably one of the best engines in Formula One. Not sure where they rank compared to Ferrari at the moment, because of course we're yet to see what that Ferrari engine can do, and also the Honda engine to some degree. But it's a very competitive engine with arguably only Mercedes boasting a better one, as we know. So, you know, it, it's been good in their part. And obviously we learned a lot from that issue with McLaren in particular. They have had now almost every single engine of the turbo hybrid here, with the obvious exception of Ferrari. And in that time, they have learned so much about what's worked with their car and what hasn't worked. The Renault engine was an upgrade on the Honda engine at the time, but over the last few years, that Renault engine is really stagnated in terms of progress compared to the other teams. Every single one of them has made leaps and bounds to the front. Renault have really kind of stayed in a stable position where arguably they could be the, the worst engine mm. on the grid again. As I said, we'll have to wait and see what Ferrari have done. So for McLaren to make this bold switch for 2021 to have the Mercedes engine, which originally was intended for the new regulation cars, which of course has been homologated uh, for 2022 uh, owing to COVID-19, this is a huge statement of intent for McLaren. It goes against the the mantra that they probably held back in 2014, where they wanted to go against Mercedes to beat them rather than take their best strengths and then improve on other areas that Mercedes would uh, did independently from McLaren and then use that. They've gone back to that. And I think it's a smart decision. I think it's one that was going to happen sooner rather than later. And I don't feel that Mercedes are going to be as confident over the next few years about keeping McLaren back as they probably have in racing point. Not to say that Mercedes have held back their customer teams, but there was always the belief that Mercedes really had those teams in check in terms of not allowing yeah, to have definitely. too much performance over them. How that happens, I don't know. I'm not suggesting Mercedes are holding their teams back as some people may feel, or as Ferrari might have done with other teams in the past that's you know they supply engines to. But McLaren is a completely different prospect. McLaren has certainly not taken the Mercedes engine to say, great, this will confirm that we finish at the front of the midfield. Now, they're certainly playing to win. And I think, just as they did in the old days, I think they've got the resources that they need to make that happen. And with this Mercedes engine, could turn out to be the final piece in the jigsaw puzzle. So I would be very encouraged, especially from what we've seen from pre-season testing as well. Yeah, it's been very solid. It seems like all the Mercedes teams didn't have any problems. But I'd like to add, Adam, I do think the Mercedes engine was one of the factors that led to Dan Ricciardo joining. He made it very, very clear from 2014 he'd love to have a car with a Mercedes motor in it. So definitely, I think this is one of the many factors that has culminated in McLaren, as we stated at the start, potentially going to the very top where in our minds we expect them to be because that's what we saw growing up. Well, I mean, you've brought up Daniel Ricciardo and I think it's worth talking about him just briefly before we move to the next point is, you know, back in 2018, McLaren were losing Fernando Alonso. They needed a driver to replace him and they approached Daniel Ricciardo. At the time, Daniel Ricciardo was unsure about his future with Red Bull um, and of course he wanted to leave the team. And he made that surprise switch to Renault. At the time, McLaren were giving him hypothetical promises of a better team management, a better structure technically, uh, more investment, um, better engine power, a car that could give him an opportunity to win a world championship. At the time, he said no. He turned it down and he went to Renault. Ultimately, that project didn't work out for Daniel Ricciardo. The Renault project promised a lot. But given that Ricciardo 
left or decided he was going to leave the team before a wheel was turned in the 2020 season and show that he had no confidence in the Renault project and went straight to McLaren. Of course, his heart might have been set on going to Ferrari first, but I'm pretty sure he didn't hesitate at the prospect of joining McLaren. And given what we've seen in the last 12 months alone, I think you'd agree that Daniel Ricciardo is arguably in the best place right now in his career to potentially win a world championship in the future. He certainly thinks so. And as I said, whilst Red, you've got to look at Red Bull as well, whilst the Red Bull to Renault switch didn't work out for him, in his defence, Red Bull have not only won the same amount of championships without Ricciardo as they would have done with him if it had stayed, but they don't, they, until now, they haven't really looked any closer to beating Mercedes in winning a world championship. As I said, 2021 might be an exception because of testing, but, you know, this is... and. And let's be honest, let's be honest, he wasn't going to get a chance winning the championship with Red Bull with Max Verstappen. Red Bull have always made it clear that they have their, their golden child. I know every team does it, but we've seen it particularly at Red Bull. We saw it with Vettel, and now we're seeing it with Verstappen. So I think it is very wise of him to move. And as you've already stated, the way that McLaren are going, this could be ideal for them. No, no doubt about it. Mm, absolutely. I mean, we talk about the, the change of structure. As I said, Andreas Settle. Um, Ricardo racing very, very highly. He's a key asset. And I agree. I've seen a lot of the work behind the scenes Andreas Settle has done as team principal to really change things at McLaren for the better. Um, James Key, excellent acquisition. You know, it was an acquisition that McLaren tried to bring over quite early a few years back from Toro Rosso, but Red Bull were really trying to stop. James Key from leaving the team to go to McLaren. They sensed what an asset he was. I think Red Bull at some point were hoping James Key would succeed Adrian Newey in the future. Um, that says a lot. No, it does. Uh, you know, they did rate him that highly and he has proven to be a very huge asset for the team as well. You know, as a lot of the technical prowess at McLaren that has been regained, I think people feel like, you know, where's McLaren's technical prowess gone? Um, I'll give an example. The MCL 35 car from 2020. The start of the season, it was very much um, an improvement on the 2019 car. It was like an upgrade or an evolution from that. But there were certain facets of that car that were still causing it to struggle. It was reasonably good performance in the mid to high speed corners, like other Mercedes powered cars are. But unlike the Mercedes, unlike the Racing Point, it really did struggle in the low speed corners. Um, and, you know, McLaren took this 2019 car into 2020 and they looked at things like the side pods and you know, the new nose, the front suspension, the rear suspension. These are all things that they changed quite emphatically on the car. And in the early parts of the season, I think if you remember, they had this big upgrade in Barcelona in 2020. And a lot of these elements of the car were changed. And it coincidentally uh, produced a huge upturn in performance for McLaren. And towards the end of the 2020 season, I think it was Mugello, um, they realised that the rules were being homologated for 2021 um, in terms of development, and obviously there was going to be a freeze on that. So McLaren quickly brought forward a new nose, a much thinner nose that we see on the car today, the Mercedes-like nose. And, yeah. they, you know, and, and this was one of the big issues because the nose on their car was quite wide, the Renault-style nose at the early parts of last season, and that caused them to struggle in the low-speed corners, or they believe it was a huge factor. And they brought this 
this smaller narrower nose but it wasn't a complete package they brought it forward to rush it um because they had to and they had to try and work around it and mclaren did suffer a dip in form initially because they were trying to experiment with different areas on that area of the car um the mounting structure eventually over time after a few races where they fiddled around with it in Sochi, they made changes to the front wing structure as well, made it a lot more narrower and made, gave it a lot more options to work with, which then coincided with a huge upturning form again, which eventually led to them finishing third in the constructors championship. I know it sounds like a lot of technical jargon, but it's that technical prowess that McLaren were able to innovate and improvise when deadlines were set on them and imposed on them, as they have done over winter testing with the limited development that they could have done on the new car to accommodate the new engine. It shows that McLaren, by still being fast and being successful, the technical prowess has returned to the team, perhaps for the first time since 2000 and 2008, maybe, when they had to build a brand new car following Spygate. So it's, it's so good for McLaren that they're actually returning in that regard. And that ties in nicely with the next question. And this comes from Brian Holmes. And he asks, do you think McLaren have done enough to improve their performance in the um, slow speed corners? And whilst we're here, Adam, let's talk about this diffuser, which is getting so many fans, well, F1 fans in general, excited. Yeah. um, So I've kind of, in a way, half answered that question already, Brian. So I do (laughs) apologise for jumping the gun a bit on that one there. Um, Brilliant timing, as always, from yours, truly. But... um, in short, from what we've seen so far, I think, as I said, you can look at towards the back end of last season where the McLaren was really struggling to deal with changeable conditions in terms of wind um, and also following other cars, mostly because of issues that they had at their front end where it was inconsistent and they were trying to rush these changes with this new package at the front nose and the front wing. When they get on top of when they got on top of that in Soshi um, around these issues before they can introduce the new package over winter. Um, there were improvements in the low speed corners. I mean, Soshi is a track with a lot of 90 degree corners and a lot of mid to high speed corners, but there were slower speed corners on that track as well. And you could see McLaren's improvement there. Um, McLaren also improved massively in being able to switch the tyres on. I mean, if we look at the performance deficit between all of the teams over the course of the season, McLaren on average was about fourth on outright pace over one lap and Racing Point were just ahead of them. But if you look overall between the midfield where you had Racing Point, McLaren, Ferrari, Alfa Tauri and Renault, not necessarily in that order, there was about, um, on the performance indicators, there was about 0.2% um, difference between all of those teams. So by that, it was literally a tenth of a second here or there. Literally anyone in that field could have an outstanding lap and make the difference. I mean, look at Charles Leclerc in Sakir, a track where he was never expected to be anywhere near the front and ended up putting it fourth on the grid by putting a great lap together. If you can put your drivers in a position where they can make that difference and have the right drivers, which McLaren certainly do this season, they did last season, let's not forget as well, it is such a huge factor. So in answer to your question in that part, yes, they look like they have improved a lot in the low to low speed corners, which is a huge thing. And it looks like they've managed to maintain their other advantages in high to mid speed corners and also looking after the tyres as well. I mean, the last few seasons, McLaren have had to work so hard at trying to mitigate their issues with their car and work at ways to make it better. And I think over that time, a little bit here and a little bit there, working on the small percentages where it can improve, has now culminated in an overall solid package, which can now challenge almost any car on the grid. It, it is that impressive. And they now have the engine to really add to that as well. It's not perfect. There are still elements that do need work on it. Um, 
And I think we saw in testing, it's not a perfect car, but as you can see, the overall final product does look very encouraging for McLaren. So I think they've definitely improved a lot. And I think the, diff and getting into the diffuser caught me, um, I, I will make this bit quite brief because I realize I'm going on a lot on this, but the changes that they made to the diffuser within the rules, another example of how their technical prowess has really required right. to the team is the way that they've managed to those fins or strakes, whatever you want to call them, the way that they've uh, cut them at an angle so that they are still quite long, but comply with the regulations to the point where they've approved them. It shows that level of innovation that McLaren have regained again or has returned to the team under this new technical and management structure. And I feel like with the budget cap now being introduced this season for $145 million, with the new investment that McLaren will have, and of course we'll get into those financial issues in a bit, it shows that McLaren really are in a position now where they not only can have their cake and eat it, compared to where they were before, where over the haves and have-nots, but they look like they already have the structure in place and the facilities and everything they need financially to really have a good go at challenging, not only for race wins, but for world championships as well. I do not feel like I'm understating the significance of what McLaren are doing right now. I think even this season, I think in a exceptional race, I think they're in they're already in a position where they can win races. I think they're they're in a similar position where Red Bull were in the shall we say 2017, 2018, just, just behind the Mercedes and obviously Ferrari at the time. Mm. I think McLaren in a position where if things go wrong for one or maybe two of those teams, I think they're in a position to win races. And it's a, and it just shows how far they've come since their struggles with Honda. Absolutely. Um, did, did we have any more questions before we go into why it, it may not have turned out this way for McLaren and why we should be encouraged even more? Um, were there any other questions that we had? Now, we have two questions involving the drivers and they tie in well. The first one is another question from Brian mm -hmm. and he asks, who would do better? Who would do better with this year's car, Norris or Ricardo? And then Sam Jesse Lissenberg asks, will Lando Norris be replaced if he's beaten by his teammate again? Okay, so I think first of all, um, it's hard to say at this point how prepared and how on top Daniel Ricciardo is with this new car. From what we see in testing, he looked pretty comfortable. He looked pretty upbeat. He looked pretty happy with everything. So I think it's fair to say that probably more so than any of the other new drivers, with perhaps the exception of Alonso to a degree, Ricciardo's pretty well prepared to pretty much deliver, I'd say, at least 90% of what he can in the McLaren this time next week when we go racing in Bahrain. But at the same time, Lando Norris, now two years in the sport already, plenty of experience and shown plenty of pace and good performances. Obviously, second to, to Carlos Sainz, a much more experienced and perhaps at this point in his career, better driver to a degree, if you look at the all-round package. There's a lot of good things going Lando's way. There is now an expectation. You know, Lando still not considered the team leader in uh, compared to Daniel Ricciardo, but in the same way that he was when Carlos Sainz was in the team, despite having a teammate that's more experienced and at that point in the time in their career, a bit more to their driving arsenal, if you like, there is an expectation on Lando with his experience to usually have that as a bit of an equaliser. Um, you know, he carries a lot more seniority in the team, not necessarily a leader, but there is now an expectation on Lando to perhaps find that next level. And that's not an easy thing to do because he's been performing at a pretty good level already. His qualifying pace has been fantastic and that will be put to the test once again by a very good qualifier in Daniel Ricciardo. But unlike Carlos Sainz 
as I mentioned last week, I think, you know, quoting Martin Brundle, I'm kind of glad that the Lando signs bromance as beautiful and as fun as it was to watch has ended, at least on a professional level, because Daniel Ricciardo will be fun and he will be very much um, in good form, in good spirits with Lando as a teammate. But when it comes down to getting in the car and getting the job done, there is no driver that is more prepared and more businesslike behind the wheel in contrast to how he is outside of it than Daniel Ricciardo. And if Lando really wants to really stake his claim as being one of the top drivers of F1 for the future, or maybe even today, he needs to have that same approach because sometimes I feel that Lando perhaps whilst there are certain moments that are fun to watch. I mean, let's not forget the um, team radio in practice at Magello where he was singing. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was that. yeah. Singing, you know, and <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it, but it was so funny. And I love that about Lando and his team radios messages are so funny, but sometimes I feel like, is he taking it seriously enough? Is he really? That's always a big question. Is can he be relied on when McLaren really? Ha- There's a level of expectation at McLaren now. I feel last season perhaps a bit more, but now in the future they really are going to have to count on Lando to deliver the results as he has been, rather than providing the meme-worthy moments and the moments where it puts a smile to your face because. Unfortunately, McLaren are not going to be able to cash in smiles over trophies. Daniel, we know, will bring that. Lando, I'm not so sure. We'll have to wait and see. But I'm confident that he can. This has always been the biggest question, Mark, over Lando Norris. Um, we've, kind of, we've always kind of kept an eye on how he was doing in the junior categories because, yes, this term is easily thrown around, but he was hailed as the next Lewis Hamilton, obviously the big next superstar for British motorsport. But when he came into Formula 1, yes, he was refreshing, Yes, he's probably helped the younger generation engage with Formula One with what he brings. But the, there was always this question, as you've already stated, does he take it seriously enough? Is he distracted by the streaming and the connections that he have that he has online? Now, in answer to that question, last season was encouraging. There was definitely an improvement in how seriously he was taking it. Yes, he was still able to have a laugh, but in comparison to the season previous, he definitely improved in that sense with the balance. And with the mindset that he was showing in pre-season with the launch of the car, I think this guy is ready to take more of a senior role in his team. You know, he's been in Formula 1 for, what, this will be his third season? Yeah. If I remember rightly. Um, and I do, I, I really do believe this guy, you know, I've always had faith. I, I saw how well he done in F2. Yes, George Russell was exceptional, but he'd done well given some of the struggles that he had with the car. I, I still have genuinely high hopes for this guy. I think if he carries on, on the road that he's going, you know, getting that balance right, he can put himself up there with the elite in the latter stage of his career, no doubt. So if he carries on the way he's going, I think in, in response to the second question, I, I can't see why McLaren would get rid of him. No. I think he's great for the team. I think he still has plenty of potential. And even from a marketing perspective, he's golden. I think he offers so much to that team. I think, uh, let's not understate the, the, the let's just say the contribution that Landers had to McLaren's re- recovery, not only just because of his popularity, but because of the pace that the guy has when he needs it. Hmm. And I think it's important to note how significant this new partnership will be for Lando Norris. Of course, only having worked with Carlos Sainz as a teammate and having the relationship that those two have had, which of course they will maintain in a you know informal, unprofessional 
um, outside of the car, you know, capacity, which is absolutely fine because a lot of the drivers have that with other drivers. And I think Carlos will have the same experience with uh, Charles Leclerc that Ricardo will have with Norris. But then having said that, I think we can agree that Science is definitely a lot more business minded um, or a lot more about, you know, let's get this done in the car and then we'll have a bit of a laugh afterwards. I, I know it's that probably is. an unfair criticism of Lando Norris. And in a way, it's not really a criticism. It's more of a, you know, it's an observation that I've noticed with him. And I feel like having a teammate like Ricardo will do him the world of good to really learn even more so than he already does know of how to be the joker outside the car. But then as soon as you're in the car, you know, got to get the job done. If you ain't first, you're last, well, you know, whatever you want. But, um, so, you know, it, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good science for McLaren. They now have the financial support. They now have the technical structure. They now have the infrastructure, of course, um, with the new wind tunnel and simulator being approved for development over the winter, following new investment to the team, which of course we will talk about a little bit later on, but they now have the driver, and also Landon Norris, another driver as well that will really help that. They have the marquee driver in Daniel Ricciardo, who has gone on record in saying he does believe that this is his best chance to win a world championship. And to be fair, I feel like in the next few years, I agree. I certainly do. I don't think Red Bull were able to provide him with what he needed to win a world championship. And I think despite leaving the team, which a lot of people believe was a mistake at the time red bull until now haven't really provided max verstappen with a car to win a world championship either so you kind of got to look at it like that really the mclaren project versus the red bull project and mclaren it's certainly going up and up and up whereas red bull despite having a strong car by the looks of it this season this we still don't know we still don't know exactly. and how Last many thing, yeah. and how many times have red bull ended the season with a strong car and not capitalized the following season that's something that can't be ignored. Whereas McLaren have been making progress bit by bit by bit. So there's no reason to say why McLaren can't do that when they've when the new financial regulations and resourcing regulations are really going to play into their favour more so than arguably almost any other team on the grid. Now, this brings us nicely to uh, one of the comments because I asked you guys, um, you know, how do you reckon McLaren will get on this season? And... Um, the Will to Will podcast, which I believe you're appearing on on Sunday. Am I correct, Adam? Uh, actually, no. They are going to be appearing on our podcast this Sunday. So, okay, brilliant. Yeah, so absolutely. So, you know, some great guys from Canada, Ottawa, Ottawa I believe it is. Um, so apologies for not pronouncing it right. But uh, yeah, love their Formula One. Big fans of the sport. So they will be on the DNF1 podcast this for this weekend's episode. So make sure to tune in to check that out. We're going to be doing a preview of the Bahrain Grand Prix, as well as some other predictions from the championship from our friends over in Canada. So I look forward to that one as well. And of course, I will be featuring on their podcast um, in two weeks time as well. So definitely looking forward to that. Well, I like the insight they're giving it here. They said that the McLaren looked balanced and reliable. Um, they said, we're pretty sure they'll win a race this season. Looking forward to watching the races. And they said, our money's on Danny Ricciardo taking at least one win. And at this point, I can't argue them in the slightest, Adam. No, I think if McLaren are going to win a race in 2021, I, my money would definitely be on Daniel Ricciardo. As I said, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm very confident in Orlando Norris's ability and I feel like he's definitely going to go from strength to strength. And hopefully this season we will see a new Lando Norris um, that combines 
that speed in qualifying and also strong race pace as well to really get the most out of that car. He needs to make that next, he needs to make that next step up. And I think that's what McLaren will hope he will. And I'm confident he will too. But as I said, my money definitely on Ricardo to win a race for McLaren this year. If of course McLaren do win a race, there's still a lot of stuff that we don't know, but from what we've seen from preseason testing, it's very encouraging signs from McLaren at this point in time. Yeah. Well, that's the last sort of questions there, Adam. Um, I certainly love what they're given here. Quite perfectly balanced. It, it this this was this was purely by accident, but it's worked out perfectly. So no complaints here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you know it, we talk. I've mentioned a lot about the money aspect of this. I think a lot of people don't realise that McLaren were in a bit of a dire straits a situation this time a year ago. Um, you know, McLaren was struggling financially. There was a lot of stories around issues with investors and stuff like that. I mean, I'll give you three examples um, for stories that were happening early last season, uh, early last year, or even late 2019. McLaren needed to get uh, there was a financial influx from their Bahrain investors at the uh, McLaren wide group. At, um, I was trying to remember my notes actually. So I, I want to make sure I pronounce this properly because <laughs> good uh, luck, Adam. Fingers uh, crossed for you. Yeah. So the Bahrainian. Um, investors, um, Mantalakat, yes, that's it, Mantalakat. That is a real well done, twister. Well done. So apologies to any of our Bahrainian followers if I pronounce that wrong, but the Mantalakat group, um, had, there was a massive financial influx at McLaren um, with the investors there. Obviously, a lot of the money coming into McLaren has come from the investors in Bahrain. They also had to borrow $150 million um, from the National Bank of Bahrain as well. You know, McLaren were really in a tough time and they had to let a lot go, a lot of people go at the McLaren group, a lot of redundancies, including their racing team as well, you know, that they had to suffer from last season. And not to say McLaren's participation was at risk, but this had the potential to hinder a lot of their projects going forward, such as the infrastructure projects I've already mentioned to their wind tunnel simulator that are now underway in the works. That could have really put a dent in their long-term prospects if that was delayed or even postponed or suspended altogether. Um, but of course, late last year before the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, you'll remember huge news about McLaren where Zach Brown was able to secure the $185 million uh, actually, no, it's £185 million, pounds, even better, um, investment from US investors to acquire 15% stake in the team, which, of course, would rise to 33% in the team soon. And that extra investment into the team is so important, not to mention the media space involved in McLaren. Of course, the other projects in IndyCar, the McLaren Shadow Project, all of these things are good for McLaren. And with that new investment, the new infrastructure, the new infrastructure, as to say, the new team structure and the new drivers all the ingredients are there for a very successful Formula One team that now have everything in place to um, inspire Daniel Ricciardo, not just entice him to come to the team, inspire him to really go out and be as bold as to believe that he could win a world championship with McLaren in the same way that Lewis Hamilton probably felt when he went to Mercedes back in 2013. There are similar hallmarks. Overall, this is huge for McLaren. There was a huge risk that they could have gone downward like Williams did in the 2010s with the financial issues that they had, which, of course, we've seen a lot more apparent because of COVID in the last few years, which has required them to get investment from Dalton Capital and change the team altogether. You know, it's a sad story what happened to Williams, and I'm glad that they are now starting to make their way forward. But for McLaren, they managed to avoid this scenario by the skin of their teeth. It really was close. And I don't think a lot of people realised how significant this was. So... 
without going into it too much more with everything that I've already said and all the ingredients that are there for McLaren with the car that they have following preseason testing from what we gather, all I can say is, guys, if you're a McLaren fan, be very, very excited. I am very confident that McLaren, if not now, will in the next few years return to F1's top tier, perhaps even more so than Aston Martin are predicted to do. So I think the focus and the media attention has been on them. But I would say, watch out for McLaren, guys. Those guys are the guys to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a higher ceiling um, for them. I'd like to add, though, I, I think it just shows the importance of prize money in Formula One. And, you know, some people might have been asking last season, why McLaren so happy to finish third? But the prize money is so important to keeping these teams running. It doesn't matter how big you are. It's not like football, where the teams sort of rely on the size of their club. It does not matter how big you are in Formula One. You need that prize money in order to progress because... Formula One teams rely on snowballing, positive snowballing more than anything. And McLaren are very much an example of this. You know, they got the new investment, they got the new management in, and the positive snowball effects led to a finishing third. And this prize money is going to help them go become an even bigger team. And with success, you get the bigger sponsorship deals, you get the bigger drivers want to come and join you. So the way it's going, as you've already said, Adam, if you're a McLaren fan, watch this team in the coming years because there's plenty to be excited about. Well, absolutely. And you talk about the business model in the same way that, you know, you compare it to manufactured teams like Mercedes and Ferrari, for example, that obviously there's a lot of interest in their teams uh, that are part of their overall company. And McLaren do share those similar hallmarks. I mean, other than Ferrari, um, for example, McLaren are probably the only team in Formula One that have fans that don't swap in and out of the team at circus all over the year because of what driver drives for them. So, for example, mm. um, look at Fernando Alonso is probably a very good example. He went from Renault to Fer- to McLaren to Renault again to Ferrari. And each season you saw that the Spanish fans would change their shirt colours based on what team Fernando was driving for. But at other circuits around the world, you always had Ferrari fans. You had McLaren fans. You had fans of specific teams. You never really cared about what drivers drove for your team. It's like me as a Ferrari fan. You know, I've gone through so many drivers that were rivals of other teams. Obviously, I didn't want to do well compared to Ferrari drivers. But when they're Ferrari drivers, I'll support them. It's the same way that football clubs are in that regard. Um, It's where Formula One is unique. But with the business model with McLaren, I remember when, as I was saying already, Chairman Paul Walsh was drafted in to sort of fix their business model structures because it was in dire straits. And given where they are now, the size of the team, it's so unique in the way that it, it's an independent team that acts like a manufacturer team, almost like perhaps more so the Red Bull in this regard. And I really do feel that McLaren fans should be excited by this project. I, I'm very excited for them. And I'm looking forward to seeing McLaren return to the very front of the grid. And I think that's a day that's going to be approaching a lot sooner than people might have thought back in 2015 when Fernando was tippy-toeing around the uh, Suzuka circuit saying that this was a GP2 engine. So yeah, be excited, guys. I think, yeah, again, I think that's um, Fernando Alonso so been a bit unfortunate with, with some of the moves he's made because since he's left, that's when the turnaround has happened. So I bet Fernando might be kicking himself yet again seeing how McLaren could potentially go in the coming years. Well, there's an article on Autosport that teased this idea that where Lewis Hamilton is arguably one of the smartest drivers in F1 history in terms of picking move driver moves at the right time or team moves at the right time fernando probably with all due respect probably one of the uh most ill-advised or 
you know, least intelligent in terms of his driver moves, considering that where he's left and where he could have gone. I mean, there's an auto, there's a great article on Autosport that talks about this in an alternate universe when Alonso makes the right switches at the right times and ends up possibly being a seven-time world champion himself. So, you know, obviously parallel universes and quantum physics aside, that's not that level of podcast, but... um. You know, it's always fun to talk about as well. But as I said, guys, let us know what you think about McLaren's prospects. We've talked a lot already in this episode about why we think McLaren are definitely on the up and up. A lot of it has to do with the the boring finance stuff. But in Formula One, especially these days, it's equally relevant, almost as much so as the actual performance of the cars on track and the upturn as well. But let us know what you think about McLaren. What do you think of their prospects for this season? Do you think they can win a world championship in the next five seasons? Do you think Daniel Ricciardo could win a world championship at McLaren? Let us know what you think. And of course, don't forget, guys, to subscribe to the DNF1 channel on YouTube if you follow this podcast on YouTube. If you don't, make sure to subscribe to the channel anyway. We've got some other videos on there you might be interested in. And of course, make sure to follow us on whichever podcasting platform you listen to us on as well. Don't forget, of course, guys, shout out to our sponsors, Manscaped. Use the code DNF1 for 20% off your order and free shipping as well. Go to manscaped.com, put in DNF1 to get that offer. You will not regret it indeed. And of course, last thing that's to say, Courtney, thank you so much once again for co-hosting this episode with me. Love doing it, mate. I'm very, I'm, I'm buzzing from McLaren and so I enjoyed doing this one. Absolutely. And with the season only moments away, it's so exciting. But in the next episode, I should say, in the DNF1 podcast, of course, we are going to be joined by the guys at Wheel to Wheel Podcast. Make sure to check that out. And we will be doing a retro episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast in the week before that as well. So make sure to check that out. And until then, guys, stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. And we will see you in the next episode of the DNF1 F1 podcast. Take care. See you soon. Podcast Network.